Good morning. My name is Kurt, and I'll be your lay reader for today. It's cold outside, but the skies are blue and the hearts in here are warm, so let's start off our worship service by sharing them, please.
Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Raya YC, if you don't know me. Um, if you are new here to Brockport First Baptist, we encourage you to fill out the welcome cards. They're in the front of your pew, and you can drop them in the offering basket. And somebody from the church will get in touch with you. And just a little reminder today, after church, we are having our potluck. So even if you didn't bring anything to share, I know there's plenty of food to eat, so please share in that fellowship. There's also a, so many different fellowship opportunities this week, like coffee hour, uh, the lunch bunch um, on t uh, is actually happening on Wednesday at Pintwood, and Guys Wing Night is Thursday night. So check your bulletins. Oh, it's okay. Well, it says Wednesday on here, so I was just reading that. Correction. Check your bulletins, because those will be correct, not the person reading this bulletin, as usual. All right, and then just one last quick, quick reminder is that our directory, our updated directory is out this year, so if you have not grabbed one yet, just go over to the welcome desk after church and grab one. Thank you, Raya. Before, before we stand for the call to worship, you guys can stay seated for a second. I want to invite Kurt to join me down here, and I want to invite up Barb Sherwood. Is Barb, is Barb somewhere? There she is. Come on down, Barb. It's here for Barb, yes. Don't worry, you're not in, tr you're not in trouble. You're good. So... So I don't think you knew I was going to call you up here today, did you? Because if you did, you probably wouldn't have come. Um, <laughs> so um, Barb, it's not, it's not your like, anniversary membership or anything like that. Uh, nothing, nothing, you didn't forget anything. Um, but if you haven't met Barb, you need to get to know this lady. You have served in so many capacities at our church over the years. Um, I've got a list, and this is not a complete list. This is what we could put together based on various notes and things. But you served as a deacon back when we had deacons. Uh, board of Trustees, Outreach Team, Music Committee, Assistant Financial Secretary, Offering Counter, Home Communion Team, Prayer Chain, Lunch Bunch, Usher, Greeter, Choir, Building Liaison, and so much more. Um, and Barb, I know in, in recent years you've had to pull back some of that a little bit because it, it takes a lot of time to, to do all that stuff, and I know that has been hard. Um, so we wanted to bring you up here today to officially say thank you for all you've done for our church to honor you and to give you a gift just to show um, our appreciation and our gratitude for all that you've done here for so many years. Um, there's also gonna be cake after the service in your honor, so because of, because of course there is. Um, but I, just, I wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything, and um, Kurt is gonna pray for us. Yeah, and I, I wanted to say a couple things too, please. So, of course. Um, many of you know uh, we have a tradition in our church, a tradition that I love where when one of our beloved passes away, we all can come up and say something nice to him. I am so thankful not to have to wait to say something nice about you. <laughs> you can hear it. <laughs> but I also okay. wanted to add, when I was looking at the list and the emails that we were sending, poinsettia getter and That's Easter right. lily getter, there's so many things that you do. No. And, um, I wanted to, to, to say a couple things, and I know you probably hate being up here, so I won't say a lot. <laughs> so during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. And if you've ever seen Japanese theater in person or on television, 
You might have barely noticed the stagehands who dress all in black so as not to be seen. These people are called the Kuruko. They're workers that work like crazy to make sure that the play and the players all have what they need to run smoothly. This is what comes to mind when I think of our precious Barb all these years. She is like one of the Kuruko of our church. Please join me in prayer. God, your love comes to us in so many ways. You taught us through the Apostle Paul that we have many parts in the one body, and all these parts have different functions. In the same way, though, we are many, we are one body in union with Christ, and we are all joined to each other as different parts of one body. So we are to use our different gifts in accordance with the grace that God has given us. Thank you, God, for loving us through the gifts that you trusted with Barb for all these years, for her kind, steady, and persevering love for you that has always been turned into her love for each of us. Please bless and watch over her, and may she know that she is appreciated for her quiet and humble support for this church all these years. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kurt. And thank you, Barb. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, I'll invite all who are able to please stand for our call to worship. <clears throat> now that half of us are up. Oh, I was... <laughs> Will you please join me in the call to worship? Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. God is gracious and his song of praise is fitting. God heals the brokenhearted. God determines the number of the stars. God gives all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. God's understanding is beyond measure. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God. Praise, Praise the Lord. From wherever you've been, come broken hearted, let a rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can heal. So lay down your
table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, a rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can cure. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your Okay, it is time for children's chat, so all the kids who would like to come down here, please come on down. And I'll try not to trip. Good morning, you guys. How you doing? Good? All right. I'm counting on you guys. I've got to make this go. Yesterday, Dan's counting on me. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a couple things up here first, then we'll kind of get into a little bit of a message first, but a little bit of fun up here first. But first thing I want you to do is think about 
something you really like, like a favorite toy or a favorite piece of candy. And I want people out in the congregation to think the same thing, because I want you to, for this first thing, kind of play along with us as well. So I want you to do this. Think about it. You got something in mind? Something you, you really, really like? All right, now I want you to picture that it's floating up there in front of you. Okay, it's right there. Can you see it floating? It's right up there. You got to see it in your head. All right, so what I want you to do now, you're going to reach up. You're going to grab it. Everybody got it? You're going to hold it there. Okay, hold it for a second. Okay, now you're going to bring it down. You're going to hold it close to you right here. I say, wow, okay. And then I want you to hold it up to your chin. Oh, uh, we got some good people and we got some bad ones. All right, what did I say? Hold it up to your... These guys all got it. They were listening good. I see several people out here that didn't do that. Here's your chin. This is your cheek. All right, so I'll try to get back to the message of that a little later. If it doesn't forget, help here. <laughs> all right, then this up here, I want us to do a little bit of an activity. You guys know what pickup sticks are? I didn't think so. <laughs> All right. Anyways, this is going to be like a number game. And you guys come down here and look at it, because you're going to have to look at it and figure this out. So this is all numbers. Just be very careful with that. All right? So if I put that out there, what number would you think that would be? A one, right? So there's only one down here. So it's just one, right? And if I put that one down there, what would it be? Two. Or, ah, Miriam's got it, 11. It could be 11, because there's two of them right together. So that makes 11, right? Well, I know a secret system for making numbers with sticks. And I want to see if you can figure it out. OK? So I might have to set this down. So sorry for folks out there.
got ghoul here. You got ghoul here. Hello? Okay, so. It was right in front of you. Okay, so. I want you to think back now to our Bible stories. And what was, what's like the very first story in the Bible? Do you know what it is? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And was even before Adam and Eve. Wait, wait. When he, he created the earth. Yes, he created the world. So. There, there it is, there it is. God's created the world and, and he wanted to do what? He needed to share it with somebody and then he created and Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve came along. So God shared with Adam and Eve this wonderful world and then of course they kind of goofed it up later on in the Bible but um, that's here and there. God shared these things with, with his people. And then there's other stories that go on that God tries to teach people and he tries to share with them what he has, to, has, has want them to do. And the things go on and on and on and on, and God does not get overly happy. And eventually he says, I'm going to send somebody to earth, and he's going to help show the way. And what, why was that? Who came? Jesus. Jesus came. So God sent us Jesus. He shared Jesus with us. All right? So Jesus shared with us. And she, Jesus showed us all these ways and tried to teach us what, we, what he could. And he shared and shared and shared and shared. He did the Sermon on the Mount and lots and lots of people. And so it was very important to share and to try to show people what they needed to do and how he expected them to behave. And then, guess what? Things didn't go so well for Jesus, did it? And he knew something was going to happen. Before that thing happened, he did something with his disciples. Do you remember what that is? Again, it's right in front of you. It's right in front of you. It's the Last Supper. Remember, he had a meal with his disciples, and he had the, uh, what we call the Last Supper. And at that time, he told them he wanted to share with them, and he had a way of, he wanted them to remember him. And that thing has continued on and on and on until today. He shared with us that he wants us to remember Whenever we eat, it can be any meal, actually. It doesn't have to be this. But this is what we can do together as a congregation. And he shared with us the Last Supper, and he said the bread was a symbol of his body, and the grape juice or the wine was a symbol of his blood that was going to be shed for us. I don't know. I don't know why. But anyways, he shared with us, too. So God shared with us through creating the world. And can you appreciate that? Can you really appreciate the world that God shared with us? When you look outside, even on a cold winter's day, it's such a beautiful time. Forget about all the things man created. Forget about that, but just the actual creation of things out there. So we got our seasons and all these wonderful things that God has made. You travel the earth and all the wonderful things you can see, like the Grand Canyon, uh, Niagara Falls, all these things that are just wonderful to see that God created. So. Uh, God shares his world with us. God shared Jesus with us. Jesus shared his life with us. Jesus showed us a way to remember and how to share his life uh, that goes on today, even many, 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 many years later. So if we can remember that, that we need to share Jesus' love, right? Because that's what Jesus was all about, was love. Right? Shake your head. Yep. Okay. So can we just do a little prayer right here? 
Okay. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time of gathering together here and, and to remember all that you created, all that you shared with us, uh, including your son, including the Bible, and, and including the Last Supper so that we can remember and share with each other what the love of Christ has done for us. And this we ask in his name. Amen. Thank you, Dick, and thank you, kids. If any parents didn't see on the way in, we have activity pages and things like that for the kids to help keep them busy for the service, because uh, the kids always stay in service on first Sunday. So again, Dick, thank you for that. We're going to go into our time of prayer. Um, as always, the microphones are available up front here. Uh, if you have a prayer request, a praise, uh, or anything you would like us to be, to be praying for, um, James Wisey, we got a different gym today, uh, will be walking around with the wireless mic uh, for anyone who would like to give a prayer request from their seat. And Jolene, come on up. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm sure Dan's going to talk on it, but... Um, for those of you who aren't in the prayer chain or in Hannah Roth's like group text, I don't have anybody's numbers, so um, she sent along an update yesterday. Um, she herself, not her mother, so that's already great, but her surgery went well, um, no complications, um, and she has already managed to like stand and walk slowly. Um, multiple times and they were talking about possibly sending her home yesterday if not then hopefully today um, I haven't had any other updates as she is recovering from a major surgery but I did just want to let you all know um, and ask that you continue to keep her and her family in your prayers as she goes on a very long healing journey absolutely yeah thank you Jolene and we will keep the prayers coming for Hannah I'd like to offer um, vague prayer for families in disarray, families in turmoil, families that are suffering attention and difficulty at this time. We pray, that, you know, we live together and we need each other, and I pray that the Lord might guide us all to a better way for some families that we care so much about. In the meanwhile, the family I'm concerned about is my peat out in California along the coast. So I hope everybody makes it through this heavy rain that's coming. The Pineapple Express has arrived. Thank you. Yes, one Yeah. I have two praises, speaking of creation. I saw something this morning I've never seen before, and I love nature, so I'm out in nature a lot, but I came down the steps. Our front door was uh, open to the point where we have a glass, like a screen door, but it's glass. The sun was shining down on the grass that was covered with frost, and if you've ever been outside and seen like snow and the sunshine and it looks like diamond sparkling, the grass was like that, but it was all different colors. And I did not take anything beforehand 
to see different <laughs> colors that weren't there. Did you, did it, you take something after? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I should, I should but it was just gorgeous, and I just am so grateful for creation and the beautiful things that God has given us and, and hope that everybody does their best to take care of it. The second praise is uh, we have been asking for nursery volunteers. February was a tough month to complete coverage for every uh, Sunday and a, at least one extra event. And several people stepped up. We actually had like three people, three regular people that aren't available this month. And several people stepped up to help cover the nursery. And thank you, you know who you are. I'm just so grateful when I get the responses, I'm available or I can help. It makes my day, and it makes the day for the kids, too. Thanks. Thank you, Lori. Yeah, Robin. I just wanted to thank everybody for prayers for my granddaughter. She is doing so much better and is expected to make a full recovery. Um, continued prayers for my sister, Roxanne, who fell and broke her leg in two places. Um, she's home from rehab, but then she got COVID. So continued prayers for her. So I have a couple. Um, I know Pastor, I forgot their name, but I'm hoping Dan will remember. But yesterday at the congregational meeting, we did have a new congregation that's oh, joining. the RGR meeting, yeah. The RGR, the Rochester, Genesee region, the American Baptist Church. We have a new church that's in the city of Rochester. Yeah, I don't remember, but there, yeah, there's a new, new church in Rochester that's joining our region, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, something like New Faith Life Center. I, like I can't remember. Something Life Center. Yeah. Like abiding faith center, yeah. abiding life center, something like that. Yeah. So, but it's really, really cool to see, you know, the American Baptist Church getting a new congregation in and one that's so close to us. Um, and another thing, uh, I talked to Nate on Friday and just like some prayers for some teammates that are dealing with injuries already. You know, they haven't even had their first game yet. And Craig, Gabe, and Danny are already dealing with um, some stuff that's limiting their ability to practice and contribute and stuff like that. So just prayers for them to heal and you know, maintain a healthy outlook mentally while they're dealing with the challenges of injury. So, Absolutely. Uh, Michelle O'Dell would also like prayers um, for Nellie. Uh, she had, I don't know if I'm going to be able to read that. Oh, a perioperative stroke after brain surgery. Michelle's a friend of yours, right? Yeah, yeah she had a stroke after brain surgery. So I'm going to be praying for Nellie, prayers for the doctors and for her loved ones uh, while they make the decisions this coming week uh, pertaining to treatment. And we'll be praying for you as well, Michelle. Uh, update on Betty Bemis. Uh, Betty had a good week this week, which is amazing. Um, they're starting to talk about finding a date to transition her back home and get her um, out of the hospital. Um, but we want to be just praying for that transition when it comes, praying for continued healing and strength uh, as Betty recovers from um, just the string of infections she's been dealing with. Tiffany. I want to add to that because Gordon actually texted me this morning. Um, if all goes well, she's going home Friday. All right. Well, we'll pray for that, definitely. Anything else we can be praying about? All right. Let's have a few moments of silence to pray on our own as you feel led, and then I'll lead us in prayer together. Let's pray.
Almighty God, we praise you for your glory in creation. Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. You stitched together the cosmos in their beautiful complexity. You created human beings in your image according to your likeness. And you invited us to partner with you in the work of caring for creation. God, teach us to discern your hand in all your works and to recognize your likeness in all your children. We pray for the needs that were shared today. We lift up Hannah and Betty. We pray for all families facing turmoil and suffering, both here in our own community and around the world. We lift up Nellie. We pray for uh, Lori, and we join her in praising you for all our amazing volunteers in the nursery and children's ministry. We lift up Robin and her granddaughter. We pray for Roxanne. For the new congregation joining uh, the Rochester region, Lord. We lift up Nate and his teammates, Craig, Dave, and Danny, and any needs that remain unspoken. We pray for those suffering pain or illness, Lord, for the lonely and despairing, for the lost and the worn out. To the sick, Lord, we ask that you'd give healing. To the grieving, give hope. To the dying, give peace. Empower us to go forth from this place determined to live in the light of your grace, the grace that is ours in Christ. We offer our prayers in his name because it was he who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, So as you no doubt remember, um, last month was Stewardship Month. We uh, invited folks from our congregation to give testimonies all throughout the month of January. But we missed a Sunday in January because of snow, which means that Bonnie Corbett, who was going to share, uh, didn't get to. So I want to invite Bonnie up um, to tell us a little bit about her story. And let's hear it for, Bar for Bonnie as she's coming up. <laughs> Barney, sorry. Someday I'm going to learn to say no to Dan. <laughs> At four o'clock this morning, I had it all pretty well worked out in my head, but that's gone now, so I'll go back to what I had written. Um, I was born into a Baptist family. Was raised in a little Baptist church, learned Jesus loves me in a little table up front. 
And then we went to the Olean Baptist Church where I was baptized. So there have been several churches since then. And um, let me go back to my, what I have written. For several years now, going back to 1981, with a 30-year break in between while I lived in the Fairport area, this wonderful church has been my place of peace, solace, and of growing in my spiritual life. Back in 1968, my husband, Bill Forrest, and our two children, Kelly and Kirk, moved to a small gentleman's farm just the other side of Clarendon. We had been attending the Chai Lai First Baptist, where we had a house uh, that we rented right across from the Baptist church there. And then we moved. Unfortunately, we felt that we had just too much to do. Just maintaining our home and the lawn, and you know how that goes, maybe. And so we just didn't take time on Sunday morning to find a church. I think we looked around, maybe went to Albion, Holly, Clarendon, but nothing felt right. I don't know why we didn't make our way to Brockport, but I don't think we did. We certainly didn't come here or we would have stayed. And I'll probably regret for the rest of my life the fact that we didn't find a place at least. Uh, but we didn't. And then life had a way of bringing me up short. On March 17, 1981, St. Patrick's Day, Bill's twin-engine plane went down in Lake Ontario over near Toronto. Nothing was ever recovered. And truthfully, neither have I. A few weeks later, I was with my mother in Florida. And we went to her church. It was a big church. And there were a lot of people there. But just as Joelle said last week, it was like the sermon was directed specifically at me. And when we left the church that morning, I said to my mother, I have to find a church to go to. And so when I got home, I started looking around. I did some church shopping. But I walked into that door there, and I was met by, I lost my place. <laughs> I was met by so many people and so many welcoming people that I just felt at home. And I thought, this is it. This is where I want to be. I was welcomed then. And then eight years after that, I married Don Corbett, and we moved um, to the other side of the city, first to Victor and then to Parenton. And, and I belong to a wonderful church there in, in Fairport. And then in 2015, Don lost his battle to COPD. It took me a year to make the decision to sell that home. And I moved back to the Brockport Clarendon area in 2016. 
The first Sunday back, I came here and I was greeted at the door by Lynn Allen. Next was Ann Hazen, Dick and Karen Avery, Cindy and Bud, Kurt and Joanne, Janice, and so many others. Strangely enough, I recognized them. Even more strangely, they recognized me. So once again, I felt so welcomed and right at home immediately, along with all the old friends. What a joy to make new acquaintances. And then to see so many new people coming into our midst, even continuing now. This church family has supported me through many difficult times. We've had joyful times, but you've also witnessed my tears, in spite of me professing that I'm not a crier. Close to it right now. What would I do without you? I've had many God moments. One right here, not too many long weeks ago. So the bottom line is, I'm very pleased, just so pleased and blessed to be part of this congregation because I know so many good things are done right here within this community and even to other parts of the world. And so many people are touched because of our willingness to reach out. Obviously, our pastor makes a huge difference. Thanks, Pastor Dan. I know a church isn't really the building, but we do have a beautiful church, and it doesn't take care of itself. We need to be caretakers. All that doesn't happen without our support. So yes, I'm happy to do whatever I can every year when pledge time comes around and then maybe during the year beyond that, whatever I can do. I don't want there to ever be a time when there's not a First Baptist Church of Brockport. Thank you. This is a sacred spot. Please join me in prayer for the offering. It's the time in our service when we respond to God's grace with the giving of our tithes. In just a moment, the ushers, ushers will be passing the plates. If you've brought a physical offering, please drop it in there. If you prefer to give online, it's on our website. Will you please join me in prayer to bless the offering? Holy and perfect God, this place has meant so much to so many of us so much to so many who have passed, and I pray so much for so many who will be. God, please know that we're grateful and that we know in this offering that we're just trying the best we can to, to do our part in that. Please bless it, Lord, and use it for your purposes. Amen.
This week's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. And it's following a point in scripture where Peter pretty much laid out for the people before him what had just happened and what they had just partaken in. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Kurt, for that reading. We're continuing today in our series on Acts. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 2. We're finally going to finish up this chapter. Um, Everything we have talked about over the last three weeks here in worship, the last three readings, all happen on just one day, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus' followers. They start speaking in tongues. Peter goes out there and preaches a barn burner of a sermon. 3,000 people commit their lives to Jesus. I'd say that's a pretty effective message, right? <laughs> like that's, that's pretty good. The new believers are baptized, and that's when things start to get a little weird. We're told that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's all pretty standard church stuff, right? Uh, teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayers. We're doing like all four of those things together today. But these new Christians go a step farther. Verse 43. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. You know, we had our basics class here at church last Sunday, uh, Brockport Baptist Basics. That's our class uh, for new folks, anyone looking to join the church, get baptized. We talked a lot about baptism in that class. Uh, The history of it, uh, what it means, uh, immersion versus sprinkling. But in all we said about baptism in that class together, I don't think we covered the part where after you're baptized, you sell all your stuff and go live on a commune, right? Like, 
We miss that somehow. This is a radical step these first Christians take. Selling all that they have, pooling their resources together, giving to each according to their need. If Fox News was around back then, the headline would have read, Socialists Invade Jerusalem, right? Like, and I'm, I'm only half kidding with that. This is radical. This is radical. We've been talking about stewardship here at our church all month. Um, our big ask at the congregational meeting a few weeks ago was for everyone who supports our church to consider a monthly gift to the building fund. If we asked you all to sell your stuff so we could put it in a, a joint bank account and give to each as they had need, you would be right to be a little skeptical, right? Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> yes, you'd be right to be a little skeptical. Baptism for these new believers wasn't just a religious thing. It's not just a public display of faith for them. Baptism for these first Christians had social, political, and economic ramifications. I think of John the Baptist baptizing people in the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the place where the ancient Israelites entered into the Promised Land centuries before. It's where the ancestors of John's people came into this land that God had promised them. It was a spot of national pride. For John to baptize people in the Jordan River at a time when the promised land was occupied by the Romans, that was a political act. It's subversive. It's no wonder they took this guy's head. In the basics class last week, we talked about the very first Baptists, our ancestors in the faith. Um, the Baptist movement emerged in England in the 1600s. Uh, it was this time of wild political and religious turmoil. Uh, you had King Henry VIII on the throne, who for the first half of his reign persecuted the Protestants. Then King Henry decided he wanted a divorce, but the Pope said no. So he snapped his fingers, and the whole kingdom was Protestant. They switched. Then, uh, about 20 years later, Henry's daughter Mary comes to the throne. Mary was Catholic. She rounds up and executes all the Protestant church leaders, and it's back to Catholic. This is, by the way, how she got the nickname Bloody Mary. We know that one. Then, a few years later, Mary's sister, Queen Elizabeth, comes to power, and we're Protestant again, back and forth, back and forth. All that happened over a few decades. The original Baptists were Christians in England who had the audacity to say, maybe the monarch shouldn't get to decide where we go to church. Those very first Baptists went down to the river. They renounced their baptisms, whether in Henry's church or Mary's church or Elizabeth's church. They got re-baptized into their own church as Baptists. That was a political act. It was considered treason at the time. When we get baptized, we are making a public declaration that Jesus is our Lord. If Jesus is our Lord, Caesar is not. Henry is not. Mary is not. Capitalism is not. And that's where I might have struck a nerve. We don't live under a king anymore, thank God. 
There's no monarch in America. But if our country did have a king, if there's one power, one system, one force that is all-encompassing, that competes with Jesus for lordship over our lives, it's our economy. It's capitalism, the, the market, money, Adam Smith's invisible hand. Capitalism is our state religion. It touches everything we interact with, everything we do. The dollar is our God. But at baptism, we were baptized into a radically different economy. If you want a quick way to gauge your discipleship, if you're looking for you know, a measure, how am I doing on the following Jesus front, this question up here on the slides is one of the best questions to ask. How often does your faith cause you to bristle against capitalism? How often do you have to wrestle with your allegiance to Jesus on one hand and the almighty dollar on the other hand? If this is a question that you grapple with regularly as a Christian living in America, you're probably doing okay. You're in it. You are in the struggle of discipleship. If this question is completely foreign to you, if you've never even like considered this, you might have another God in your life. You might be serving two masters and not even realizing it. A few weeks ago, um, I had lunch with a young couple. Um, they're roughly at the same place Aaron and I were like 10, 15 years ago. Um, newly married, young, starting careers, thinking about settling down and starting a family. And one of the questions this couple is wrestling with as Christians is where are we going to live? Where are we going to live? Right now, they're in an urban area. Um, They love the diversity there, the culture, all the great restaurants, the art. They've established themselves in that neighborhood. They've built careers. But as they think about buying a house, property values, as they think about starting a family, having kids, and schools, the pull toward the suburbs is real. Plenty of young urban professionals have to navigate this. You make your mark in the city, you start your life there, then when you finally start to build some wealth and want to settle down, you leave the city. Move out to the suburbs with the better schools, bigger houses, more playgrounds. Of course, when we do that, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone, when we leave the city, we take our tax money with us, and we leave those neighborhoods worse off. For followers of Jesus, this is an ethical dilemma. Where you live is a discipleship issue. You might choose to stay in a poorer neighborhood with struggling schools as a radical act of discipleship. That's what this couple is navigating right now. This is where it gets real. We've got to bring this down to earth. I know that none of us are about to sell our houses, pool our resources, go live on a commune. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not naive. I know that's not going to happen. Um, I'm not going to do that either, by the way. Uh, I like my house. Um, <laughs> the early church would probably ask us why not. They'd, they'd probably judge us for that. 
but I'm a realist. Even if we don't have the guts to do what these first Christians did, to take that radical step, there are plenty of practical ways we can begin to embrace the countercultural economics of the early church. I want to highlight three things, three areas. You can think of this almost as like three fronts uh, if, if we want to start thinking about how to put this into practice. And we're going to label these fronts personal, internal, and communal. Personal, internal, and communal. Let's start on the personal front, our personal economies, and talk about how to prioritize generosity. In our sort of economic system, generosity is usually an afterthought. The driving force of business, the market, personal finance, is not how much good can I do, It's how much can I earn? What profit can I produce? Whether we're talking about Fortune 500 companies or small household budgets, the goal is to turn a profit, make money, balance the books, and then, if there's anything left over, then maybe we'll do some good with it. Give to charity. Donate to a a soup kitchen or, or whatever. This is why most people don't give to charity. It's an afterthought. It's something we do at the end with what's left over, if there's anything left over. Once we pay our bills, purchase necessities, spend a little bit on ourselves, maybe save some, you get to the end of the month and there's nothing left. That is not a system that's set up for sharing. What if we started with generosity? Before we tackle the expenses, the investments, the demands, what if we started with the question, what impact do I want my wealth, my money, my work, my earnings to have in the world? What portion of my income do I want to set aside specifically to share with others? Is there a dollar amount? certain percentage. Start with what you want to give, the impact you want to make, and work backwards from that. Churches will often talk about tithing. Um, Tithe comes from an old English word for tenth, and it refers to the practice of setting aside a tenth of your income, 10%, to give away, living off 90% so you can give 10. I want to be clear on this, though, because a lot of people kind of misunderstand this, the Bible never commands Christians to tithe. Christians are never specifically told in Scripture, you have to give 10%. That, that isn't in there as a command for Christians. But as a practice, if you are looking for a way, a practical way to live counterculturally in our capitalist, market-driven system, Figuring out how to live off of 90% of your income so that you can do something else with that 10% is a really cool place to start. Maybe you set aside a certain amount each month to put in a special account so that whenever you hear about someone in your life who has need, someone who's struggling, you've got a pool of money that you can just give to them. 
Maybe you pick a few charities to support some nonprofits that are doing work in the world that you believe in. Make that the starting, part, the starting point of your financial planning. I want my money to accomplish this. Determine that amount and then work backwards and see what it would take to live off the rest. This is how Aaron and I approach our finances. Um, this is kind of how we think about giving. And it is amazing to see work being done in the world, stuff being done in your community, and knowing that you contributed to that. That's the personal front, prioritizing generosity. But there's also the internal piece. Because anyone can give. Anyone can be charitable. We can give all the money we want and still be lockstep in rhythm with our fallen, broken economic system. As Christians, we need to do the internal work of rethinking our loyalties. Rethinking our loyalties to the fallen economic system of our society. This could look very differently depending on where you're at. It could mean taking a lower paying job in order to have more time to invest in relationships. Uh, it could mean downsizing, taking on less side gigs so that you free up time for your family or for service. It could look like staying put in your current neighborhood. The world teaches us to sacrifice everything for profit, for the dollar. We're asked to sacrifice our time, our health, our well-being, our energy, our families. Is it time to say no? Is it time to set some boundaries and make some hard choices for the sake of our souls? Do you need to rethink your consumption in order to have a more just impact on the world? Do you find yourself buying items you don't need with free next day shipping? <laughs> Do you know where the stuff you buy is made? And what the conditions are of the people who make that stuff? For Christians, this is a discipleship issue. Maybe you've bought into some of the lies our society tells around money and security, the idea that profit is inherently good, that more is always better, the myth that wealth is a sign of good character, and if you don't have wealth, there's something wrong with you. These economic ideas shape every aspect of our lives and the people we interact with. And most of these ideas are not true. They don't work. You can't live in a society, you can't have a life of constant improvement where everything is getting better and better and better. It's not always up and to the right. It doesn't work, it's not sustainable. That is a one-way ticket to burnout and exhaustion. It's not good, it's not true, and it's not in line with scripture. Do that hard internal work of rooting out these ideas. Make sure your loyalties are aligned with Jesus and his way, not the way of the market. We follow on this so far? Awesome. Third front, final front. I know we're way over time. We're almost done. It's okay. Take a breath. 
The third front we need to focus on is the communal. This is the one that's going to get me in trouble. <clears throat> Working toward systemic change. Working to transform the system in which we live until it is more just and more equitable for everyone. This is the part that's going to get me in trouble, but I have to say it. The economic system we live under is not divinely sanctioned. It is not divinely ordained. Capitalism did not drop down from heaven. Adam Smith did not write the wealth of nations under divine inspiration. Uh, capitalism is a fine system. It's better than some others. I'd rather live under capitalism than feudalism, for example. But capitalism is broken. Capitalism is marked by sin. It is flawed. It tends to concentrate wealth among the elites and often leaves behind the working class. Christians should not be defending any economic system. If you find yourself standing up for whether it's capitalism or socialism or whatever ism, you're probably doing the wrong thing. As Christians, we should always be at the forefront of pushing for change, lifting up the poor, and protecting the vulnerable, whatever system we live under. Christians were the first people in this country to advocate for public education. Did you know that? It was Puritans in New England who opened the very first public schools. It's a Christian idea. We used to champion the idea that every child has the right to a quality public education. Now, Christians are now the most likely demographic in America to send their kids to private schools, to pull them out of the public school system that we helped build. We were among the very first to advocate for programs like Social Security and Medicare, programs that were dismissed back in the day when they were first suggested as socialism. Anti-poverty measures like food stamps, welfare, if you read up on these programs, you'll find out that most of them were invented by Christians who were trying to change the system they lived in. We used to be at the forefront of workers' rights. Martin Luther King, when he was assassinated in Memphis, wasn't there for a civil rights march. He was there supporting sanitation workers who were on strike. Dr. King advocated for a living wage and a universal basic income. And they called him a socialist. And they killed him. Christians used to understand that not everything needs to be driven by profit. That used to be like a core value of the church. We used to be the ones challenging society's assumptions around wealth and profit and how to run an economy. Nowadays, we are now often the loudest defenders of the status quo. The biggest advocates for our broken system. If Christians in our country actually prioritize generosity, if we were courageous enough to check our own hearts and examine our loyalties, if we were to reclaim our prophetic voice and work for systemic change, imagine the impact. I know this is going to make some of us uncomfortable. That's okay. 
as a Baptist church, no one has to agree with me, which is awesome. <clears throat> but there's a reason you don't hear a lot of sermons in America critiquing capitalism. We, we don't go there. We don't touch it. But I have really good news. If you disagree with me on this one, you have another option. If you want to emulate the Christians of Acts, if you want to do this stuff without actually having to deal with all the political and economic stuff, you have another choice. All you have to do is sell everything you have, pool your resources, and give it all to the poor. The choice is yours. Let's pray. God, thank you for the radical example of these first Christians in the book of Acts. Let their witness challenge us and motivate us until it transforms us. May their example expand our imaginations, broaden our understanding of what's possible, God, help us to see clearly the way we are serving two masters, the areas of our lives, personal, internal, and communal, where we still need to submit to your lordship. We ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've talked about the economics of baptism, but I'm reminded that this communion table represents an economy all of its own. The Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, prayer, and the breaking of bread. This table represents an economy of grace. Salvation made available to us for free through Christ. It's also a radical remember, uh, reminder that everyone is welcome at this table. Young or old, rich or poor, whether your cup of faith is overflowing or down to its last drop. You don't have to be a member of our church or any church to partake uh, of communion here at Brockport First Baptist. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer to bless the elements, and then they're going to be distributed. We ask that you hold on to the bread until everyone's been served, and then we'll take it together, and then we will do the same thing with the juice. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the radical economy of this table for the free gift of grace that is offered by your son and his sacrifice. 
Help us to remember that gift, to remember his body and blood broken for us as we partake. Amen. The scriptures tell us that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a piece of bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. body of Christ given for you. Take and eat. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
the love of God through the blood of Christ. It's a tradition here at Brockport First Baptist that every time we share communion together, we read our church covenant and we sing the Lord's Prayer. I'd like to invite all who are able to please stand for the reading of the covenant, which is on the slides. And I also tried to reformat it this week to fit whole sentences on pages, so don't let it throw you off. <clears throat> Believing that God has... May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. <laughs>